Hello and welcome to Locked on Flames. I'm your host, Kristen Anderson, and thank you so much for joining me. Your support means a lot, so please subscribe, download, share, rate, and review this podcast to help me grow it. This is the final weekend of a massive five-game road trip for the Flames, back-to-back games at Columbus and Washington. The Flames practiced at Nationwide Arena on Friday while the Blue Jackets were in St. Louis. There, they dropped a 4-3 overtime decision to the Stanley Cup champions as David Perron put the finishing touches on that game eight seconds into overtime. Blue Jackets backup netminder Elvis Merzlikens faced 27 shots in the losing effort, which means the Flames are likely to see Eunice Corposalo on Saturday night. I'm fascinated by the Blue Jackets this year and the always colorful John Tortorella, which is why I brought on my guest today, Alison Lucan, who writes for The Athletic in Columbus. She does some deep diving into advanced statistics and talks a little bit about the pressures facing the Blue Jackets after losing so many of their key players in the offseason. As for the Flames, you couldn't turn on the TV, radio, or social media without seeing Matthew Kachuk's goal from Thursday night. It was plastered all over the place. We'll be talking about this game game and this goal all year long, but it was truly amazing to see what he was able to do. Having that wherewithal to make that connection, and he knew he couldn't use his backhand, and he couldn't get his feet or his body around to keep it on his forehand. So using that judgment in the extinctual move through the legs was totally impressive. Here's Matthew Kachuk talking to Flames TV about his unbelievable highlight reel goal. Yeah, like what I'm, normally when I do it, I don't do it necessarily the way I did it in overtime, but it's normally like a sharp angle where that's the only way I can get the puck on net or to the net so stuff stuff I've practiced since I've been younger I think I drew, drove my dad and some of my coaches crazy when I was younger trying that all the time in practice and sometimes in games but I don't know it's I'm comfortable doing it I think um, some of the guys around the league you see are comfortable doing it there's been some goal score but there's guys that do it a lot um, you think of a guy like Van Reems that does it all the time on the power play so um, that's kind of where I learned it from a little bit I'm um, doing it on the power play but I try to mix it in uh, you know, sometimes it even strengthens All right, we're back. Just a couple of notes for you heading into this weekend's games. David Riddick will start Saturday against the Blue Jackets, while Cam Talbot starts Sunday against the Washington Capitals. The Flames improved to 3-5-1 away from the Scotiabank Saddle Dome with their 6-5 overtime win on Thursday, and Kachuk's goal in the final two seconds of overtime put him into some impressive company. He joined Eddie Beers as the second player in Flames franchise history to score a game-tying goal in the final minute of regulation, and a game-winning goal in the final 60 seconds of overtime. Overtime. Remember, he forced the extra frame by burying a rebound with only 39 seconds left in regulation. Sean Monahan was back at First Line Center on Thursday, and he was also there on in Friday's practice at Nationwide Arena. So expect that first line back together, at least for the time being again. Of course, during this road trip, we wanted to see Elias Lindholm at center and have an extended look at that position. But I feel like Bill Peters is going with what works. And right now, it seems like this first line is working. They know that they have chemistry. And Sean Monaghan is still searching for his game. He was super ineffective early on Thursday. He was a minus four after 40 minutes. But during that comeback portion, he had three assists. We all know he needs to find the back of the net to gain some confidence. His current 13-game goal scoring funk equals the longest drought of his career. And I would like to say that the first line will be back together all weekend if things continue, which ends the juggling line juggling storyline from earlier this week. It is what it is, and they know what they have in those top three guys. Johnny Goudreau recorded two assists, including one on Kachuk's game-tying goal to record his 400th NHL point. Now, in 409 games played, he has 136 goals and 264 assists. Up next, we have Allison Lucan on to chat about the Blue Jackets, expectations which Calgary knows plenty about, and why you should be considering advanced statistics when looking at the full picture. 
I'm so happy to bring on my next guest today. She works for The Athletic in Columbus. She gets to listen to the Columbus Canon on a regular basis, and she loves her hockey analytics. Allison Lucan, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh my gosh, Kristen, it's such an honor. You're just one of the most impressive people in this field, so I'm thrilled to be here with you today. I wouldn't call it impressive. It, it, you're, you get to be a really good multitasker, as you know, <laughs> after having kids and working in this business. It's, you, you do things when you can, as fast as you can, and as, as good as you can, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks again. Um, and okay, so the Calgary Flames face off uh, against the Columbus Blue Jackets this weekend. It's a pretty big weekend for the Flames. They wrap up a, a five-game road trip, back-to-back games. They play Columbus on Saturday, and then the Washington Capitals on Sunday. And let's just start with the Blue Jackets. This group has faced a bit of adversity off the bat. This has been a pretty challenging, I would say a pretty challenging maybe month for them. What what has kind of stood out in this recent span for the Columbus Blue Jackets? Yeah, I think that what what's important to know about this team and the team knows it as well is that who they are and what they are all about in terms of how they need to play is that there's no margin for error. And so they have to be on top of their game for a full 60 minutes. They have to be defensively sound and score by committee. When they are doing that, they are likely getting the results. They, they do pretty well when they can put in that kind of effort. But when they don't, they've struggled. And that's what we're kind of seeing here recently, particularly against Philadelphia and Edmonton most recently. And, and the other big struggle they have, it's not new, but it's becoming even more important given the way this group has to play is that their power play just cannot get going. It's been a real struggle for them and special teams are going to be huge for this group as well. How big was, you know, losing Ryan Murray, like a broken hand, like it couldn't have happened a worse time kind of to start the season just as they're trying to gain some traction early on? Yeah, it's in my opinion, it's a huge loss. I think that Ryan Murray is one of the more underrated players on this roster if not in the league. And, you know, part of that is because he unfortunately has had so many injuries, but he's a a brilliant skater. He's excellent in terms of on ice vision and passing. He's a huge part of really increasing the depth of their defensive core. They have a lot of good skaters there and a lot of good players there, but without him, it's just, it's just that less extra oomph on the back end. And and hopefully he'll heal up quickly and be able to return because they do need him for sure. We talk about adversity, but this has really been, I mean, they were challenged off the start of this season, you know, in the post-Bobrovsky, Panarin, Matt Duchesne, Ryan DeSingle era. Those are some huge losses. You've probably talked about this ad nauseum. Uh, Just how has it been, you know, plugging all those holes and how has it been so far to start the season without those guys? Yeah, it's funny. I think the only people who are who are more sick of talking about it than anyone are the players and the people <laughs> in the organization. But uh, yeah, it, you know, I think I wasn't as concerned about this team going into the season other than goaltending. Uh, the organization made a very interesting decision in that they were going to go with Eunice Corposalo, who's been Bobrovsky's backup for years. And then the previously untested in terms of the North American game, Elvis Merzlikens, um, who's had a fantastic career overseas, but just hadn't played here. Um, everyone I've talked to, even outside of, of the Columbus team and, and group, just raves about Merzlikens and, and the expectations are really high for him. But he struggled a little early. Uh, Corpus Salo has looked solid. 
Um, he's done pretty well. He struggled against Edmonton. And uh, ironically, then Merzlikens comes in and has a pretty good performance um, in cleanup. But, uh, or in relief, I should say, they didn't get the win. So that's, that's kind of patching together. If they can stay at league average, I think this team is, is good there. Um, but in terms of offense, you know, it's interesting to me because Panarin's loss is obviously huge. He's such a dynamic player, such a huge talent. But what's, what's been interesting to me is to watch some of the players who maybe didn't play with him as much when he was here aren't really always at the level that they were even before. Um, and I think that that's, that's an independent question of whether or not Panarin is here. That's something that they should be able to replicate. And hopefully those players can get up to speed. The one positive that has come out of this whole change of, of the roster is Pierre-Luc Dubois, who was Panarin's center for two years. And he's the only player in the NHL who only ever played with Panarin, um, never played with anyone else on his left wing. And so I was really curious to see what the impact would be on him. Um, but he has really stepped up. He's been a delightful surprise, um, really forming into a number one center in his own right. And so it'll be really interesting to watch if he can continue his level of play throughout the rest of the season. It was so funny. I was sitting next to your colleague, um, Aaron Portsline yes. in, in Buffalo when, uh, the Blue Jackets drafted Pierre-Luc Dubois and then uh, pretty soon after, or I, I believe, um, right? Oh, no. So a couple picks after, I should say, three picks after the Flames pick Matthew Kachuk. So it's been it's been quite interesting to watch both of their developments and such two different players, obviously. But yes. um, I know Pierre-Luc Dubois came highly regarded and um, it was such a, that was such an interesting draft from, <laughs> oh, yes. from like, <laughs> and all of a sudden Matthew Kachuk was in the flames lap and um yeah it's 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 and it goes by fast those are three years and and Matthew Kachuk obviously signed his um extension and um yeah it's it it (laughs) certainly goes by fast it's crazy so okay so the the Blue Jackets have such a memorable memorable playoff performance in 2019 20 or sorry uh last year I should say the springtime 2019 Earlier this month, John Tortorella, God bless him, he says we're supposed to suck this year. Yeah. And that's tongue-in-cheek, but obviously torts being torts, it's uh, there's some truth to it a little bit, right? Like he's being a little bit, um, you know, pundits are saying that, yeah, they are supposed to uh, maybe fall from grace this year. and Maybe their playoff performance was a bit of lightning in the bottle. Is there some internal motivation um, there? And I know the Calgary Flames faced that uh, when they made that surprise run in playoffs um, in 2015. Uh, in the same way, like the, the season after, I remember um, there was a lot of uh, talk about, um, can, you know, they weren't supposed to be there. They weren't supposed to be in the playoffs at that point. But is there is there some, is it a bit of a galvanizing thing for oh. the for the Blue Jackets? Oh, yeah, I, I definitely think so for a couple reasons, right? I think that we saw it in the playoffs, um, you know, even, you know, Tortorella said last year during that whole time, he said, everyone's talking about, Tampa and how Tampa did this to themselves. No one saying what the Blue Jackets did. Um, So I think it really motivated them then. It also really started to form the foundation of this methodology of how they have to play this year. One of their biggest weapons against Tampa Bay was their aggressive forecheck. It wasn't Artemi Panarin. It wasn't necessarily goaltending. Not that those two players weren't key, of course, but 
it was that four check that really smothered Tampa Bay, and that's how they have to play now. And, and I think that taste, that run that wasn't expected, made the players really hungry to get back. And that coupled with the departures and kind of that off-season activity that we just talked about, I mean, you know how it is. You go into a room and you can kind of feel a sense or an identity or an energy, if you will. This group is really tight. Um, they are really plugged in and bought in to what it is they want to do. Now, they still have to execute against that, of course. But it's a really interesting feeling in there right now because it would be easy to think that maybe the players were fractured by some of the departures or you know, upset by maybe some of the decisions of how they have to play. Tuning out torts is often a common question. But, but these guys, at least right now, are really connected. Pierre-Luc Dubois said after their, their first uh, loss to Pittsburgh earlier this season, he said, we are a really good team. Um, they want to prove that to people. They believe in themselves. And, and again, if they can continue to play the way they need to play, I do think they are better than people expect, but they, they have to produce those results on the ice. <laughs> and you have such an interesting take on things in perspective. And um, we in Calgary have a few writers that take the analytics approach and they're um, well-versed in it. I think that it's becoming more and more part of the conversation in, in providing um, context into stories. If you could just, you know, maybe give a sort of expanded picture on why people should, you know, pay attention to analytics and some of the deeper statistics that are actually becoming more and more mainstream. We see it on NHL.com in terms of the the statistics and in gathering and each team, as it's been discussed ad nauseum, has their own internal staff and internal ways of generating those analytics in your mind how does how does this provide a uh and you you described it best data-driven storytelling yeah you know it's, it's such a great question and I, and I appreciate you asking it because I think it's unfortunate that for some people not everyone of course there seems to be this divide between the numbers crowd and the eye test crowd right and at its core how analytics started we want to always have tools to evaluate a player, right? And to see what we think is going to happen next. And at its very, very foundation, analytics said, there's so few goals in a game. That's what we use for plus minus, right? That's what we use for how we evaluate a player. How many goals did they score? How many assists did they score? The questions analytics started to ask was, is there something else that we have more of that we can use to have a better way to evaluate players. And that's how we started to look at shots and shot assists. It's really just a better formed, fully better predictive tool compared to plus minus or goals. It's not some smoke and mirrors crazy magic, um, but it's, it's, it's just like if you flip a coin twice, even though there's a 50-50 chance that you'll get heads or tails, if you only flip it twice, you're not guaranteed to get one head and one tail. If you flip it 100 times, you might be more likely to get 50 and 50 and so on and so on as the number of flips increases. So that's what analytics is looking to do at its core is to say, what do we have more of so that we can trust what the number is telling us more? Um, that's what analytics is about. And, and what I like about it is it's funny, we, we talk about the eye test, and even this season, uh, you mentioned my great colleague, Aaron Portsline, he and I were looking for a play in a previous game, and we both knew what we were looking for as we were combing through film, and we were both describing it. 
And when we finally found the play, it looked completely different than our minds remembered it. And so our eyes sometimes deceive us. And that's not to say that the eye test isn't so important. I, I'm, I require the eye test to go along with analytics. But sometimes our eyes don't remember everything or see everything. And so I think that numbers that help us evaluate gameplay, players, teams, fully form and proof out what we see with our eyes. Our eyes tell us that, for example, Edmonton controlled play. Do the numbers bear that out? Yes, they do. And if they don't, that's a great jumping off point to say, why not? Is it something we didn't see? Or is there a flaw still in some of these numbers that we are still developing and evolving? So I just think that analytics are a great way for those of us who care, and not everyone has to care. Some of us just love going and sitting in an arena and drinking a beer and watching hockey, and that's awesome. But for those of us who want to have maybe a deeper understanding of the game, I think analytics really helps us learn more and understand more about what we see. It's fascinating because I've I've covered I've covered well I've covered sports for um, over a decade almost twelve thirteen years and I've covered the Calgary Flames for seven seasons and it you have only a limited amount of time only a limited amount limited amount of brain power to watch and analyze what's happening in live in real time and you you it's human error you can't possibly be everywhere at once right. and you your eyes can't possibly do it like you just can't and i always say this with um people that analyze um AHL teams or you know they watch the occasional player in the AHL and then all of a sudden this player comes up he's scored a bunch of goals and people think oh well why don't you bring up so and so because he scored this many goals right. well like who who has time to watch every single game that every single player has played in the AHL like so you you take all of that into convert in into context, and then you factor in you know rushing down and getting quotes and making a deadline and you know whatever's happening in else around you in terms of distractions. So you probably there are. It's interesting you brought up that 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 example of that play that was so different in your eyes because in your in your minds the in your memory because yeah I mean <laughs> did you really see it how you saw it or right. did you judge it based on the crowd's reaction or what people were saying about it. So it's really, you're right. It is really um, an interesting, just an added, added aspect. It, it just provides more of a, of a, of a broader picture and probably gives, well, it definitely gives teams um, more information and more um, support in, you know, making a proper judgment of how players are doing, how their team game is um, comparable to the rest of the league. Absolutely. I think you nailed it. And that's, you know, I, I, I am always welcome to people who have questions and want to learn more. That's my hope is to turn things that sound weird. I mean, some of these names are crazy, right? Like Corsi, Fenwick, what is that, right? <laughs> my goal is to turn those things into approachable and understandable concepts and relate them to what our eyes see so that people who, again, are interested can, can learn as much as they want. And I'm always open and available for anyone who has questions. So just to dumb it down, what are, you know, when you're looking at main advanced statistics, what would be your main advanced statistics that you would look at to to derive a data-driven story? Yeah, for sure. So particularly at a team level, you know, we want to look at who's getting the most, the lion's share, the greatest percentage of shot attempts. And that's not just shots on goal. That's missed shots and block shots. We all, I think, when we watch a game say, 
Well, someone, that still matters that someone fired the puck towards the net. Even if it didn't hit the goaltender, it still matters. It's, it's part of the play. It tells us something about what the team is trying to do. So you look at shot share, which is just Corsi, but I think shot share is a better, more descriptive name. Um, and then there are some really cool stats coming out now. People may have heard of expected goals. And what that really is, is shots with some intelligence mixed in. So where was the shot taken? Was the shot off a rebound? What was the angle of the shot? What was the game situation around it? Was it on the power play, et cetera, so forth? And so that is helping us start to understand shot quality as well. So are you getting more of the shots? Are you getting more of the shot quality? And some of the other things that it just at the basic level that I like to look at, particularly goaltenders, I think that goaltenders are such an under- uh, evaluated part of the game. I think that goals against is kind of limiting um, because if you allow two goals but your teams win, does that matter? <laughs> and also save percentage. If you only face two shots but you save both of them, you have 100% save percentage. Like that's not Mike, really <laughs> descriptive. I was, was going to say, Mike Smith is the perfect example exactly. of that because uh, when he played with it, I tried to make that argument when he came over from the Arizona Coyotes and his numbers were so terrible the previous year, but that was mainly because the Arizona Coyotes were so defensively awful. Yes. But, but part and parcel – Mike Smith is a bit of an interesting case in some of the goals he allows and some of the games the Flames were able to outscore his goaltending, essentially. (laughs) Exactly. And and so that's, you know, there's this whole idea of expected goals and, and shot quality. We can flip that and look at goals saved above average or kind of the differential in terms of what was expected from a goaltender based on the shots that he faced, based on the quality of shots that he faced, how would an average goaltender have responded? And then how did the goaltender we are looking at respond? And what's the differential there? So I really like looking at that. Um, some of the newer stuff that is is very cool and I think very valuable, but isn't necessarily instantly available. It has to come from human tracking in the public space is some of the information that looks at how teams transition the puck. Do they carry the puck in with possession? Johnny Gaudreau is is someone who does that tremendously. Um, Do they get the puck out of the zone with possession? Because we've been able to do research to show that both of those behaviors have a better chance of leading to a quality chance or a quality shot on goal, which of course leads to a better chance of scoring a goal. So those are some of the key things I like to look at. Thank you so much for tuning in. Next week is a busy slate of games for Calgary, Arizona, New Jersey, and the St. Louis Blues. And that means a whole pile of new content from Locked on Flames. Your support means so much to me. Thank you again. Please subscribe, download, share, rate, and review this podcast to help me grow it.